Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. And so she's instilled a way to train, an understanding of what it takes to be a winner, you know, and and yeah, what that looks like. And I think that just brings a whole level of confidence to this team, which they're gonna need. Opal's legend, Michelle Timms, is joining us in our latest podcast to dissect the current state of play for the FIBA Women's World Cup. It's the final countdown. As always, Timsy gives us her valuable input on the Opals, the draw, and her observations so far. She's going to be joining the ESPN lineup of commentators. Timsy offers us some shrewd pre-World Cup analysis, and like us, she can't wait for the World Cup to begin. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin, it's Michelle Timms and we are talking Women's World Cup, which is only a couple of weeks away. Timsy, welcome back. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about what's coming up. Look, I'm excited and nervous, I guess. I've, I'm incredibly keen to see who we are as, a, as an Opal unit, you know. It's like going into this, it's felt like I don't know who the Opals are and I kind of was thinking about it tonight before I jumped on. It's like, well, I still don't know who we are. You know, I haven't seen them enough, haven't been privy to training camps. You know, it was easy back in my day. Who were the Opals? You, you know, we were a hardcore, high-intensity, great defensive team and a flexible team, you know. And um, But I just, I just don't know, and I'm really looking forward to seeing who the Opals are over the next three weeks, and I'll get up there early and watch them play a few practice matches, hopefully, and just like I will try and watch a few of the other teams as they play their little practice matches, friendlies, which aren't friendly at all, um, and and get a sense of, of, of each of the teams. As you said, you're not too sure who the Opals are. You know, they're going through a uh, identity shift. Who do you want them to be or who do you hope that they become? I mean, I think of the great teams that have played that have worn the green and gold as Opals. And one thing is that they've been great defensive teams. So they need to be a great defensive team. And having said that, that opens a whole, for me, a whole can of worms in itself, wanting them to be that because they need to be that. But then the other side of me understands that that's not built overnight. You know, you just don't suddenly rock up and have a training camp and you still don't have your team and the coach is overseas and, you know, that takes a long time to build that, you know. And um, so I want them to be a great defensive team and I'm not 100% sold that that, that that can happen, I guess, in such a short time, you know. I guess they, they're rolling into their first training camp right now but they're still without, you know, some critical pieces in, in Talbot and Ezzy who you'd expect to be starters. And really, yes, they went to New York but they didn't have the WNBA players training then. So they still had, didn't have the full team and the coach has been overseas and not able to really, I guess, um, well, I'm sure Coach Chambers and the other assistants have, have put in and identified the way they want to be defensively. So hopefully it can happen to some degree. But I just know that they need to be a great defensive team coming into this championship. So um, I'm incredibly happy with how some of the players have been playing D, you know, in the WNBA, particularly Steph Talbot, I mean, her defence over the last, you know, just watching the WNBA finals and I haven't watched all the team play Seattle, but, boy, she's she's been an elite defender. So that's great. 
I think we really need an elite point guard defender and the jury's still out on who that might end up being or how that might look. Beck Allen's been solid defensively in the NBA, but um, I don't know. So I feel like they need to be, to get somewhere in this tournament, they need to be a great defensive team and they need to know where their scores are going to come from and who their go-to player is in the clutch, I guess. And I'm still right now not sure who should have the ball in their hands in the clutch. So I'm really looking forward to the build-up of it. They've got a four-nation tournament. They've got, I know they're playing some friendlies here and there. So I want to get up there nice and early and have a look and get a better sense, which it seems odd saying that, but I still don't have a great sense of who we are just yet. Definitely you've got You know, I know we're going to talk about a Lauren Jackson. Who isn't going to talk about Lauren Jackson when you you talk about the Opals and, you know, is her work done? I think the impact that she can have for this team is, and it's obviously shown already from all things when you talk to the current Opals players, is that the leadership and the belief she's brought to this program already, you know, without even thinking about her playing, has been invaluable and, and justified her selection. So, I mean, what's she going to look like in the team? Like, what is her role going to be? How many minutes is she able to play? How is she going to be used? Uh, the schedule, especially that back half of the, the pools, doesn't favour someone like LJ, although she managed to put together a real nice back-to-back in the NBL 1 final. But this is three big games, you know, Serbia, Canada, Japan, Japan possibly to see if they finish in the top two places, which I really feel like they they need to finish there to avoid really tough crossovers down the track. But, um, yeah, I think getting back to your original question, I think first and foremost we need to be a great defensive team. Okay, you you brought up LJ just then. There's two parts to the LJ story, I think, for the Opals. The first is what role she does play on court, but the second is the inspiration for the team. How much of an impact do you think that inspiration is going to have for the yeah, players? Look, I, I don't know. For me, I don't know that inspiration, is that the word? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Look, she definitely brings an incredible amount of experience and leadership that probably the team has lacked for the last four years. And with her brings a never-say-die attitude and knowing a way to win. She also brings how to train. And I think that's something when I've talked to Opal's squad members, that's the first thing they've said is that she's taken us to a new level training. Everyone was really, uh, up until then, almost playing nice with each other. But Lauren showed them that nice doesn't win ball games and shown them that it's okay to be physical and get in people's face and knock a player down. And, and so she's instilled a way to train, an understanding of what it takes to be a winner you know, and, and yeah, what that looks like. And I think that just brings a whole level of confidence to this team, which they're going to need. And she also has such a strong presence as well without having to do anything, just her being physically there in anything because I was there at the NBL One East finals and just her presence in the stadium, you could just feel this kind of electricity or pull around her with just her in the warm-up. And then she's such a genuine and down-to-earth person that even in her captain's speech after they won the championship, she took time to personally thank their 15-year-old development player for pushing her. So not only is she a role model on the court in a sense of her accolades and achievements and her skill and ability, but off the court she just has that humility and and is such a humble person that I think... um, will really ground a team at such a competitive tournament. Yeah, and I think, yeah, 100%, you know, the the last few words you said there, grounded team, I think she is going to be able to bring a sense of calm, confidence and calm to the team in whatever situation is thrown their way. And I think the team will look to her, whether she's, you know, playing 15 minutes or five minutes or or what have you, in those moments um, they'll look to her sitting there or on the court. The team will look to her for that you know, how do we find our way through this? I think, Paul, in a previous episode, you referred to LJ as an anchor. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's Very good. much anchoring the team. Mm, absolutely. I totally agree. Backbone, anchor. And it's going to be interesting because usually when you think of that sort of person, you think of someone playing 30-plus minutes. 
but I don't know that's going to be be the case. It might be, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to make the rotations really interesting and also it's going to depend on who we're playing because, you know, Japan is – it's kind of like an unnatural mix, LJ, up against Japan with their style of play because their style of play is so fast. You know, Do you think that L- – can I just ask, do you think that LJ is as fast as Cambridge was? From, Ooh, from good what? question. That is a very good question. I know she did. She's, I, I, I would, I would say that LJ is would be just as fast as Cambage. Yeah. yeah, I think um, any team you put out there, you have to find a way to play against that speed, which I guess you don't get. You're right. It's it's a tough one playing Japan because they play a style that you're you're definitely not used to. And and even though China plays a style, it, it's more of a, an American not not an Americanized, but more of a style that you know you're used to playing. But I know mm. when we used to play Japan. You weren't on the split line, you know. You'd face guard players. You'd, you, you just everything goes out the door of ways that you know you should be defending a team, but you defend them a different way because you have to because of the speed they play with, you know. So it's a different. You're right. It's a different beast that playing Japan, but I think it's been a different beast for a lot of the past Opal teams too. Yeah, you know, we we do have some fast defensive players. I mean, Annalie Maley. She's going to be really interesting to watch in this in the mix for the Opals just from her style of play. I know, right? And you know what? The combination of injecting Jackson and Maylie, that's just beautiful because mm. that's some serious grunt right there. You know, that's a never-say-die attitude. So you're getting this culture that you're trying to build and Jackson brings. Well, it's being emulated by Annalie Maylie because that's the style she plays, that hard-nosed, relentless, persistent board banger, doesn't care who she's playing against. She doesn't have the experience of the Jackson, but she's going to leave it out there. And and I think she's probably had a bit to do with, yeah, Lauren's come in and this is the way we go about it. And Annalie's been able to go, yeah, this is the way we go about it, even though she's a rookie. And then you add Christy yeah. Wallace, who another one who plays that style, leaves it out there. You know, she's, she's exciting. Where's she going to fit in the mix? You know, is she going to be thrown into the point well, you'd think so because, you know, Madgen and her and, well, we know how it worked with Sammy Whitcomb at the point. I think she can play minutes, but to establish Sammy at the point for any long period of time, I, I think takes away from what she can offer us on the perimeter and how she can keep teams on us. So, you know, getting back to your point about Annalie Maley and Jacko and I think Christy Wallace is, you know, the way she, she plays and that's going to um, add to the right direction that the Opals need to head in to get a foot on somewhere around the top four. Yeah, and we've also had some, we've seen some pretty impressive defensive performances from Ezzy in the WNBA as well. Yeah, well, Ezzy's, for me, Ezzy's gone from, I probably would have still said a young girl in the WNBL, even though they won the championship and I kind of felt like she was a bit up and down at times and, but, she stepped up as a woman in the WNBA now. Like watching her play over there, it's like wow. You know, she's she's not scared of anyone. That clip that I mean, I, I giggle when I think about it, but I posted a, a very small. It was was it sixty seconds, not even that, of her going against Cambridge and like. But it wasn't just Cambridge. It's it's anyone she's gone up against. It's Wilson. It's it's anyone that she's had. She's got this level of confidence that that I haven't seen in her before. And that's really exciting for the Opals program. And having, you know, having perhaps some insight uh, as you, you know, work with the Melbourne Boomers, what was the catalyst, do you think, for Ezzy between that last championship season with the Boomers and now signing to play in Europe and then seeing her in the second all-defensive team in the WNBA? It's a short time to see such a, a significant change in her confidence and in a game. What, no, what I don't could know. we like, possibly I think she, uh, yeah. attribute that to? Yeah, look, she just... You know, sometimes a penny just drops for players and I think she just built so much confidence through this WNBL season, you know, that was a springboard for her for the next step. Like her signing in Europe really surprised me, I've got to say, and I wasn't sure. I was thinking, I wonder, is he, will she be okay in Europe, you know? It can be very isolating and, you know, but watching her play in the WNBA, I think for sure she'll do really well over there and take the responsibility of being, you know, one of the, the main players. I mean, she signed with Ellis Koenig, so... 
Alice Koenig's team and I did a lot of work with Alice during this off-season and um, Al's a great defender as well. So I think going to that team and knowing that there is going to be another Australian there, although she might not know Alice, I think it'll even help her even more. But I think she's ready and I wouldn't have said this during the WNBL season, I think she's ready to take that step and play in Europe. Yeah, she's definitely someone who uh, presents themselves as a very mature young person, so I'm sure she didn't make that decision to play in Europe lightly. Yeah. Um, and, but as you covered, you've covered, you know, LJ, Maylee, Christy Wallace and Ezzy in a sense when we were talking in the context of playing against Japan, but uh, three of those four players didn't play against Japan when we saw them in the friendlies. So I think that given... Uh, you know, Maylee literally got off the plane and she played one game against Japan yeah. and literally had an impact immediately where she was subbed on at a free throw, got an yeah. O board and scored. Yeah. Um, and the big question there is Amazing. Too, yeah, and the question there is too is, you know, we speak about those three and what I feel the impact they've already had on the team, but um, how many minutes are those three going to play? It's like it's a real unknown, isn't it, you know? Mm. Um I would love to have seen Ezzy get a few more training sessions or camps under her belt with LJ in the mix. Don't know. I think she's probably just, I'm not sure, probably am wrong, but this might be the first time her coming back. Yeah, yeah they seem like, you know, it, it would be a shame if they were passing ships mm. in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something we'd spoken about a couple of times before. That is the scheduling of the WNBA season Oh, don't finals. you start me. It's just... You know what? It's just, Have at it's it. It's wrong. It's, you know what? It's it's arrogance. I'm really, really not happy with the WNBA at all. You know, like it's just it's just wrong. No one can justify it. Yeah, you know, oh, what about TV? What about this? Well, too bad. Move it. It needed to be shifted. They should not be rolling in. And the other thing is it's, you know, it's, it's probably a lot of teams luck because most of the team will be in the, the final series anyway of the USA, so that's going to hinder them. And, and we're not talking about a team that is used to rolling up to tournaments and, and having played together. This is going to be a team that hasn't played a lot together before, you know. So it's not like they're you've got your bird and you've got your trossies and et cetera, et cetera, who just rock up and play. This is like a – this will be a different look USA team. So I think from that point of view, the rest of us – lucky you know maybe peg yes they they are great but have they played a lot together have they trained a lot together but it might just bring them back slightly yeah getting back to the WNBA it's incredibly disappointing and arrogant in in my opinion you know I it's FIBA you know and, and they should be working around and I think it's a could be quite negligent you know to have that finishing if it goes to game five and players jumping on a plane and then expecting to be able to play in a World Cup, like, that's dangerous. I mean, it's not mm. like they're just going on an hour trip, you know. So, anyway, I think the WNBA have a lot to answer for and I hope we don't see it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's. I don't know. What's look, your opinions? Because, you know, there's... Me there's personally, we had a long conversation about this with some people from the UK and, yeah, it's bad. It's not great. Their idea of scheduling is very US centric, and the rest of the world can go to buggery. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Start the season early. I know it harms, or or play less games, or something. When it's this doesn't happen every year, you know. So something needs. Yeah, to- we knew the we knew the World Cup was on. It got announced literally two years ago. It was going to be in Sydney. Yeah. yeah, we knew it's coming. We know we know when it's on. We know when it's going to come up. Mm. Uh, and just like the Olympics, plan around it. Uh, like you said, start the WNBA season earlier if you need to. But it just shows such a disrespect to the sport as well. It's like they're prioritising monetization and advertising and TV space over the sport itself. Like FIBA is supposed to be our international governing body. And yeah. this to I understand that NBA and WNBA is a whole other beast of its own doing. But, I mean, you would think that those kind of national duties still need to take priority for the sake of the game. 100%. One of the things that was interesting is recently we spoke with uh, Lena Wallen-Cancy from FIBA, and one of the things she talked about was that, you know, EuroLeague, in her mind, is a better league than the WNBA. And also, that being the case, is this a case of, you know, WNBA is still trying to establish itself and, and legitimise itself given 
that there are other leagues out there that people see as being equally strong or better. Yeah, I don't know because it's it's the first time this has happened. Correct, like it hasn't bumped into each other as badly as this before. I don't, not that I can remember. So I'm not sure what their thought process is, and I'd hate to guess. Fair enough. I know it's anyway, a let's soft answer, but anyway, that's I, right. I, just, I mean, I just feel it's arrogant, and I'm really disappointed in what's occur- the way it's rolled out. And I think, as I said, it's negligent and it's it's dangerous. Yeah. If it goes to game five. Yeah, it's going to have impacts all around the place. Mm. Um, let's have a look at a couple of the other teams that you know. There's a couple here that are interesting. It's Belgium, obviously, are going to be strong. What do you Belgium think? Be great. You know what? I just watched. Uh, oh, I'm trying to watch as many games as I can get my hands on at the moment. There's not many there, but anyway, uh, Belgium versus Serbia, and mm. and that was fantastic. The intense that was on the 21st of August or something like that, I think, and the intensity level was just. And they both, you know, I'm not Serbia, but Belgium have you know players to come back in. But I was so impressed with Belgium, and equally as impressed and scared of Serbia. You know. I mean, I sat back, hey, oh, ages ago, saying, oh, we, you know, it's realistic, you know, we should finish in the top two of our pool. But, geez, oh, I don't know where to start with these two. The defensive intensity was, I hadn't seen a game like it. Like, we know how Serbia play, but Belgium matched it. Belgium were up full court in Yvonne Anderson's grill. And um, it was a great game to watch, you know, and it just, I was like, oh, wow, that intensity, you know, how, how are we going to handle that intensity? With a known handler, who is that handler going to be? Are we going to try and, you know, get a bigger player to bring it down? Are we going? What are we going to do to, you know? But then you get a bigger player to bring it down. Then they hold. Then they got to get it off to the point guard. So, what way are we going to combat that? Is somebody going to be able to handle it? Be confident enough to handle it? Pressure down the court? Yeah, but Belgium was was really good. They looked great, and and Serbia, Serbia looked super, and Yvonne Anderson. You know, she she showed a little bit of weakness in, in the game that I thought, oh, that's interesting. But do we have that dogged defensive player ourselves that can get up in her grill, take a space away, turn her and just make her feel uncomfortable? Well, we haven't shown that yet. So, and for me, she's a real, you know, if we can take her out of the game, you've got a good chance of winning it. I know Serbia have great players around, that, you know, on the perimeter, et cetera, but I think that for me she holds a bit of a key to, shaking them down okay what about the idea that you know i mean where you've got a team where they depend heavily on one particular player so it's like okay this is the player that's going to really make things happen for us Mm. if we are able to shut them down then it gives us an opportunity to be able to advance are there any teams where you see that i don't i I don't know that there's many teams look even having said that about anderson you can slow it down but They've still got a lot of talent. You know, you look at mm. France. France has Johannes, you know, unfortunately Sandy um, has played her into some serious form and she, she she's a new-look player to what she was at the qualifiers. But it's still mm. a lot to be, do we know, is she going to have that rapport that she built with Sandy and the trust that, she, that Sandy, you know, gave her and the confidence is she going to have that rapport with Coach Jean? And I don't know, um, but all reports I'm hearing, they they haven't gelled. And her being away probably hasn't given it time for them to gel, you know. You know, France is another interesting team, and they're not all about Johanna Shaw. And she, I feel like she's almost been a little too inconsistent in the last at FIBA World Cup qualifiers. She was all over the shop. She didn't settle with the team. It didn't seem like she enjoyed playing with them. Um, right now she had fun with New York and she's getting back to her team and, you know, I read an interview where she was saying that she's, you know, really looking forward to playing with everyone but she hasn't had a lot of time with that team either and played games and got used to his his ways and, you know, so I don't know if we can even say if we shut her down we beat France, you know. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of France because I, I feel like I don't have a good feel with them now. Gruder's out. Um, one of the point guards is out. There's no Pupe. I'm keen to see who they actually rock up with, and I really want to see him play in that four-nation tournament so we can have a look and, and see who they were. Uh, I know they want to run. 
which, you know, I, I spoke about the Opals and I said that what we need to be, well, we need to be a great defensive team and we need to be a great running team. But, you know, good mm. defence can make that happen as well. But with France, I'm not sure who they are yet either. And I, as I said, I, I look forward to seeing a couple of games prior to the start of the tournament so I can make that assessment. You touched on a really interesting point, which is a lot of these teams, they may not have had enough time together and played enough together in competition to be able to gel properly. Yeah, although you look at Serbia and they've had, I think they've had a decent amount of time together, Mm. but the value that the European teams have is that they get to have friendlies left, right and centre. Like China's over there at the moment playing friendlies. They've played France and I haven't been able to get my hands on that game. It wasn't on YouTube. I would love to watch that. France, I think France beat them from what I heard. You know, Serbia's playing Czech, Serbia's playing China. You know, they're getting lots of games under their belt before they, they even get out here. And that's something that we probably, we, we'll get a few games you know, we, we'll we'll get China, we'll we'll get the Four Nation tournament. My understanding is that's I think that's only one game or two games anyway. I'm not quite sure how many games Australia gets in that, but I'm sure they'll have some friendlies along the way. But the advantage the European teams have is that even while they're waiting, some of them for the WNBA teams, they get to play a lot of friendlies. Yeah. You know, in Spain, sitting there, you know, not coming out, which you know I've said a million times, makes me cry <laughs> because mm. you know. There's nothing better than have a Spanish team at a World Cup or a, or especially a World Cup or an Olympic event, you know, what they bring, the excitement, the way they play. So anyway, so they're sitting back there. They're playing Euro 2023 qualifiers. So, you know, these teams in Europe have, have a huge advantage, I think, of getting plenty of games under their belt before they step foot in Australia. And for the, sorry, just quickly for the sake of our listeners, uh, just remind us again about the Four Nations tournament you're referring to. Well, the, my understanding is there's a Four Nation tournament on the 16th to the 18th in Sydney. And um, I know that because I'm running a, a basketball clinic there. So <laughs> any six oh, to nine year old kids who want to come along, please feel free. It's a free clinic, free molten clinic. So anyway, okay. um, that aside. So, yeah, I know there's a couple of games. I guess like it's a dress rehearsal for everybody, really, for not only the teams to get a couple of extra games, but also a rehearsal for the local organising committee to run through the stadium from everything, from the people who have to get the behind-the-scenes stuff organised, you know, your courtside managers, your, your change room managers, your statisticians, your everything. So it normally happens that the nation running a, um, a World Cup will have their own four-nation tournament. But I believe... I, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe France, Australia, Japan. I'm trying to think who that fourth t- – maybe maybe it's um, USA, maybe. I'm not 100% sure, though. But I guess they'll be hoping they won't have a team if it's that early, if, you know, the WNBA goes to five games. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure who that fourth team is. Okay. Now, I got a question. From oh God, I hope we can answer it. You have a tricky pl- one. No, no, no. I got a que- I got a question from some people oh, that I've been talking to over in Sarajevo. Oh. Their question is, mm-hmm. what do you think about the team from Bosnia and Herzegovina? Well, I think they're pretty good. And they're led by, you know, it's this is a team who you talk about if you can shut a player down, but I don't think you can shut Joaquil Jones down. I don't think JJ can be shut down. Mm. And what they have is they remind me of Serbia in the way they play. They play hard-nosed, gritty, blue-collar hoop, and they complement Jones, and that's why they're there, and that's why they were successful at the qualifiers. I really enjoyed watching him play in Asia in that qualification, and um, the pieces they had around JJ were, were really good. So I'm looking forward to seeing what sort of, what upsets? Can they finish in the top four? Well, well, maybe, you know. There's USA, China. Help me here, people. There's who else is in that, that, that pool? Well, they should. Uh, Belgium. Belgium, yeah, yeah. Belgium. Korea and Puerto Rico. Yeah. So for me, they finish in the top four in that pool. So I really like them. I, you know, I really like the way they play it. I like the way they, they are. I mean, look, I'm a defensive I love D, I love a hard nose, I love blue collar, and that's what they reminded me of. 
Okay, you've got to put a smile on a, a whole lot of faces over in Sarajevo, I can tell you with that comment. Oh, well, I'm not just saying it because I know they asked the question. I, uh, <laughs> You know, as one of my teams, I'm, I'm excited to see play. They're one of them. I think they'll cause an upset here or there. Where do you guys think they might finish? I think you're right. I think they definitely have potential to finish top four in their pool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no question. And like you look, you look at, at who's going to end up in the top four in both pools, and then when you start getting into the finals, as you start working through there, it's like, man, depending on who ends up where, there's going to yeah. be some really interesting matchups that we're going to be seeing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know what? That's why. I mean, look. It, it, I mean, it sounds like a stupid comment, but every game's so critical for the Opals. You know mm. that first one against France. Yeah, they they absolutely need to win that game. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom, but that they've got four more. But they need to, or is it five more? <laughs> five more, I should say. No, they got they got Mali the second game. Then they've got the big yes, three. Yes, five. Yeah. yeah, Serbia, and then they got to back it up against Canada, who I'm really I'm unsure about Canada. Like originally, I just had them, like didn't even think about them in in the four at all, and. Um, but the pieces they're pulling back together, you know, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if Kia Nurse can go, you know, if she hasn't played much hoop, Carlton's back. It'll be interesting to see how, how they go. But but for the Opals, getting that game one, then they get Mali, which sorry for being, you know, well, they get them. And then the Serbian game, I mean, for them to finish in the top two, which is what they want to do, and, you know, that Japan game, by that stage is going to be really, really that team that you don't like playing, you know, especially mm. at the end of the tournament, and they have you running around. That's going to be a massive game, massive game. And even having France as the first game of the tournament is also tough because it's just for that mental edge as well. Any mm. game, you know, going into any tournament of any level, that first game, you want to get under your belt just for the mental edge as well. So I feel like if the Opals can get France and have that really good positive mindset from that win. We, I know we have Mali in between, but I feel like that is going to boil over into their preparation and their mindset against Serbia. Yeah, totally, totally. And then they get the day off, as everyone does, before they play Serbia, which is ideal. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was looking through who plays who, day what, day what, and, you know, I mean... Our run is, as I just said, it's France, Mali, rest day, Serbia, Canada, Japan. France have got Australia, Canada, Mali, Japan, Serbia. I think I like France's draw. Um, Japan have got Mali, Serbia, Canada, France, Australia. That's as tough as ours, you know. Serbia's got Canada, Japan. They've got a nice draw as well. Canada, Japan, rest, Australia, Mali, France. To me, that's a favourable draw for them then Canada have Serbia France Japan Australia Mali which yeah that's a tough draw for them yeah I mean look it's a tough pull it's a tough pull whatever way Mm. I guess whenever you play them you've got to beat them to be where you want to be it's a tough pull but boy oh boy that first game like you say it's critical you're setting the tone yeah yeah it helps set the tone for the mental game going forward as well yeah Totally. So how do you think it's going to wash up? (laughs) You know what? Leading up until about a week ago, I thought for sure there's a real chance we can be in the final mix, the final four. But watching Belgium and, and you know what, I think I've, I've sold Belgium a bit short and I don't know why because they've been so good the last few years, you know. But watching Belgium, Serbia is really got under my skin a little bit. I'm really looking forward to watching a few more games on YouTube because that, that, that worried me and it, the style, I got reminded about the intensity, the defensive intensity that teams bring and and now, you know, the team that we've picked without real, you know, in-your-face type defender of any type and can we get the ball, how are, how are we going to handle the ball down the court against these teams? I'm sort of, I'm sort of backing back a little bit not going to put as much pressure on the Opals as what I had beforehand because, to be honest, I'm not sure now. I'm not sure if that was realistic, you know, 
without putting an incredible amount of pressure on them. So, I mean, the other thing you can talk about, which which has been running through my mind, is is it better to play Serbia early on, a team like that who, let's face it, foul relentlessly and challenge the referee and challenge the way the game's officiated. Now, if you play them early in the tournament, are the referees more inclined to say, no, bit foul, bit foul, you know? But as the tournament goes on, they, no, nah, we, we can't ref this or that. It just it becomes accepted that that's their way. So later in the tournament, I think Serbia, in my mind right now, is that they're deadlier later in the tournament as the officiating starts to accustom to the way they to play, yeah. relaxed, yeah, not relapse, yeah. So that's a whole whole another conversation too when you think about the way a team like Serbia does go about the game and, and really challenge the way the game is allowed to be played. Yeah, I think, uh, and what you said as well, I agree with the biggest worry I took away from, or the biggest concern I took away from the Opals friendly games against Japan. And now given that both of those squads that played at the friendlies earlier this year aren't the same squads that we're going to be or rosters we're going to see at the World Cup. Yeah, the biggest concern for me with the Opals is, yeah, like you said, bringing the ball up the court under that relentless full-court pressure and especially half-court traps. Like we really struggled against a half-court trap Mm -hmm. and I'm not too sure. And and we played three games. I don't, for me, maybe I'm too harsh of a critic, but I didn't see enough of an adjustment over those three games to overcome those traps. Yeah, look, I think we rolled out the guards. Yeah, I think we rolled out the guards and see how they went and, they definitely became unstuck. But here's a couple of things that I think about that. I think that Tess Madgen led by example and I think she just bulldozed the ball down against tough defence. So, you know, there's hope with the ball in her hands. Um, is she going to be able to do it night in, night out? The Japanese, are they as physical as Serbia? I'm not too sure. And their probably body height is a different sort of match as well, you know. The other thing that... I think this is where Jacko could have made a difference even back then if they'd put her in that squad a bit earlier. You know, and I've said this before, I think that the guards might have had a better chance to cope with that because I, I truly believe that Jacko would have just said, BS, that ain't happening, that's not happening in my backyard. And so she would have just gone up and and you know you could have counted on her to come up and just smash somebody with a screen. Mm. Whether it was legal, illegal, they would have been looking over their shoulder all night. And I think she would have, she might have grabbed those guards by the hand and said, look, you're okay, breathe, it's all right. You know, come this way, I'm going to come that way and I'll shake her loose. You know, so I think that it would have been that leadership that would have um, played into the helping those guards. But you're right, we, we didn't look good and it cost those three guards a spot in the Opal squad. My hope is that somebody can step up and handle the pressure and we have a, a plan B on how do we get the ball over the line against a Serbia or or Japan. I feel comfortable that we've shown against Japan we can, even though it didn't look good. I think Tess Magin can get it done. And then you've got Christy Wallace, who, as I said, I'm excited to see what she can bring, you know, to the point guard position, which is what she's going to have to play. She definitely can bring a lot of confidence. Yeah, the, from what I've heard, it sounds like she'll play a lot of point guard position. And she's someone as well, like you, you, know, you said with Sammy, she's someone who I also prefer at the two spot is very capable of playing the one for sure but yeah uh, limits the scoring opportunity when they're shifted in the one from that two spot but um, I'm sure they're going to have some really good combination maybe we'll see Wally and Sammy on at the same time as the one two respectively and then even pushing someone like Beck Allen at a three I don't know but that would be a lot of scoring power already just with those three yeah I mean I don't mind Sammy at the point on occasions but you know, she adds a great dimension to us when she's not, you know, teams have got to be honest, they can't clog the lane up, they've got to chase her around, you know, and that's tough to do at the point. Okay, so out of all of this, one of the teams we haven't talked about is Puerto Rico, and the reason that I want to talk about them a little bit is while they don't always string together a really good set of performances, every once in a while they really do get their act together. Oh, heck yeah, they get on runs and they, uh, they can shoot that rock. Like, they can mm. go on r- runs from the three-point line. Oh, this is going to be harsh, but, I mean, I guess a lot of teams like this, you know, c- can I use the word front runners? You know, like when things are going well, they're going well, and it doesn't happen often, but I don't know that they're going to cause many upsets, mm. you know. 
that's my take on them. Like Amali, I don't know that they'll get a game. Um, look, unless someone totally disrespects them and they come out half asleep, but I can't see that happening. I could see them maybe push it, giving Korea a bit of a run for their money. Sorry, yeah, yeah. that's the one, Korea. Yeah, that, Korea, yeah. you know, we're a bit up and down in the Asia Cup qualifier and I don't know how much of that roster will be at the World Cup, but, uh, yeah, they'll be up and down at the Asia Cup qualifier. So I could no, see, that, good, you know, if... Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. I've totally forgot about Korea. So I think I reckon you're right. That'll be a good game. I'm not used to having six teams in a pool. I'm so accustomed to having like four pools of four or something. So I have to keep reminding myself it's two pools of six. I love it. I, I, I love the World Cup. I love the two pools of six. Do you feel you mentioned earlier in the uh, episode that you, you know, you're starting to feel a little bit nervous the closer we get to tip off time. Is it the same feeling of nerves as when you were a player? Oh, God, no. No way. No, no, no. Really. no I had so much confidence as a player because I had such belief in my teammates and, and I knew they believed in me. You know, there was just that looking back, I'd call it more, yeah, nerves, anxiety the night before, not before the game. It was the night before that, that often did me the most pain and it wasn't so much I was nervous. I guess it was more I was just dying to see the outcome and I'd be get myself in a state that I just couldn't sleep because I just couldn't wait to see the outcome, you know, how we went, how I played. And so <laughs> my night before was I just had to be very calm and breathe, you know, and try and get to bed early and I like my eight hours before a game. These nerves are more about I'm stepping into a place that I haven't been for a very long time in commentating and, and TV work with ESPN. I'm a little bit nervous about that. <laughs> so that's where my nerves are starting to build more so than any other sort of nerves. We have heard that uh, a lot of f former players and, you know, icons like yourself are joining the ESPN team to cover the World Cup. Are you allowed to disclose who else will be joining the team? We know that it's yourself and Screeny so far. Yeah, and, um, well, LJ was, that was good. Look, at, at, when I first started talking with ESPN, it's going to be a, a lot of fun because at that stage, LJ wasn't on the, the Opal's, you know, radar. She was going to be joining and that would have been great fun, but it is, it's going to be, it's going to be great fun anyway. I mean, there's a show, there's a pregame show, there's who's going to be on it. I'm not sure I can indulge that. <laughs> that's the only thing. I know there's Screeny and I, but that's about all I know, to be honest. And I know there's going to be a cast, though. There's probably going to be a cast of about four or five players, so rotating through different things. And I'm really looking forward to it because I am nervous, incredibly nervous about it because, you know, you put yourself out there and no place you really want to make a bigger fool of yourself than in front of millions of people. And so that side of the things worries me, but I, I just can't wait to think that there's going to be this, you know, 90 minute pregame show that, or half, you know, show between both blocks and then, you know, a really good 30 minutes or so before the game, talking all opals, game before, game that's about to happen. So I'm really excited from that point of view. I'll have to give, you know, you guys will have to give me some things to say, but yeah. <laughs> I'll be on site. I can feed you through a secret earpiece. Yeah, um, I'm open to that. Any listeners, if you've got something that uh, I'm missing, which I'm sure I'm going to, please text me and uh, I'll claim it and I'll announce it. <laughs> I'm pretty confident that because, uh, I mean, we've seen you on TV before with some WNBL stuff in the past. I'm pretty confident once you're in the chair and in the zone, it would yep. just be like chatting to some friends and all of your expertise would just flow out of you and you'll have nothing to worry about. Yeah, I'm kind yeah. of wishing that I did. I'm kind of wishing I'd done a, a season of NBL 1 or something to get myself game ready. But anyway, I remember when I first started with ABC, I was with Clinton Gribus and that was – baptism of fire you know I'd never never done anything like it and and I I can't count how many how many blunders I made I mean there was one time when I was calling a game ABC and Fox were piggybacking on our feed and Clinton said look this is starting earlier uh, ABC starting slightly earlier and Fox is going to come in so don't say anything that's happened you know um in the the little discussion that we're going to have you know three minutes prior like, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. And then it's, it was all like, oh, my God, Fox is coming on. Oh, my gosh, you know, like started getting even nervous. And then, you know, the opener went well. And then as soon as they said, you know, they gave the countdown for ESPN, I said, so like I just mentioned, Clinton, and then I went drop mic. I went, 
I just did the one thing they told me not to do is refer to what's just been spoken about as Fox's cross life. And so I went white numb. I couldn't speak because I was so embarrassed and all in my head I'm going, well, there's no coming back from here. What am I going to do? So I acted as though my mic was turned off and I pretended to be hitting the mic going like this. To <laughs> click I don't know. And he just had to take it. And I remember the looks, God love him, I love Clinton Grice, but the looks he was giving me, I, you know, it was I just wanted to walk off, but I just had to stay there and just suck it up, princess, and then I got back on my horse and, and finished <laughs> off okay. But it was just one of those moments. And in my first year I made so many blunders and so many ridiculous statements. And But, you know, that's what it was. You know, you, you learn on the run in front of a live audience. It wasn't ideal. But anyway, that's how I feel yeah. a little bit like it's going to happen this way. <laughs> Nah, I think you got this one nailed. Um, nah, it's going to be great. You can't wait. You know, I feel like basketball's on the map in a big way and, and we're going to roll into the WNBL after it with ESPN again and it's uh, yep. and all nine and just, you know, speaking of leaving a legacy of this World Cup, I mean, it's going to be fantastic. I think it's a really great way for the sport to launch from the World Cup into the WNBL, 100%. have that momentum and yep. also have the media coverage as well. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely fantastic, and you know, unfortunately, what we needed the Opals to be successful. But you know what? If they play, you know, their success is measured in many ways, and yes, it is about meddling and finishing in the top four. But at the end of the day, to be honest, what I want is the Opals just to play blue collar basketball, hard nose, something we're all real proud of. Lay it all on the line, and as we say to the young kids, if it's if you do your best, that's all anyone can ask. And I think that's all we're asking of the Opals now is is just to do their best. And, and if it falls short of uh, winning a medal, well, so be it. You know, all you can do is your best. So we'll be proud of them. And uh, I feel really proud just watching the build-up to the World Cup as well in a sense that, you know, what happened in Tokyo, the aftermath of Tokyo, the delayed shock of the US only then just clocking on a year later of what happened in Tokyo. So it, I feel like it's just been this relived drama. But mm. in the meantime, those in the Opal squad and those, you know, in the administrative part, I guess, orchestrating, you know, with from the coaching staff to the managerial staff, just been orchestrating this kind of culture re-identification. And the yeah. players, it seems like the players have been really, really focused on recuperating and focusing purely on going forward and not letting any of the past events affect what their goal is at the World Cup. So that's been really, really nice to see that the group is bonding so strongly together um, and competing so much for those spots. So I I think that's definitely something to be proud about too. 100%. I can't wait to see them all walk out there in their green and gold and, and the home crowd just erupting. I can't wait. And then we've got, you know, the the other side of things, we've got the Opals documentary that's going to be debuted during the World Cup. There's going to be, like, I mean, the fact that ESPN are A, going to cover the World Cup and B, have gone to the effort to recruit past Opals and, you know, local legends to be part of the expert commentary team. I mean, that even that in itself, it should be a no-brainer, but... You can't always guarantee, you know, things like that with TV. So even that I'm, I'm really excited about, just the whole way things are shaping up ahead of yeah, the first that day. Opal, that Opal's documentary is really special. I was fortunate enough to be part of that and um, took a lot of organising and a lot of expertise and we had Paddy Mickham, a past, um, you never passed Opal, but former Opal, directing it and uh, or producing it and it is absolutely well, I don't know that there'd be many Opals that'll watch it without shedding a tear. It's really quite powerful and emotional and, and something that really proud to have this new lot of Opals watch because it really is about the history and where we've come from and and that gold medal team in 2006. So that's definitely one to watch when you get a chance. It'll be shown throughout the uh, bits and pieces will be shown and the actual documentary will be shown on ESPN. So it's going to be something really special. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that, kids need to see because there's so much you know there's so much history of basketball that doesn't get communicated to players as they're coming through now yeah and i think it's really important to see that to understand that it's not just about you know this game there's so much more around it 
Yeah. And there's so much more to the to the Opals team beyond, you know, the team that hits the floor at any in any given yeah. competition. Well, there's just a beautiful story, you know, nineteen fifty seven onwards. It's it's great. It's really good and I'm not gonna give too much away, but um yeah, it's it's great. And it pays homage to the the women that went before and made it made it all possible. All right. So Timsey, we will definitely be seeing you somewhere around at the World Cup. Can't wait to hear your commentary. Oh, shut um, up. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, can't wait. This next two weeks is actually, I, I mean, it's. I know it's, it's going to actually go slow because I can't wait for the competition to start. No, no, see, that's where you're wrong. I reckon it's going to fly too fast. There's so much to be done before <laughs> then. And uh, Yeah, 100%. I'm heading up yeah. on the 14th and I need to get my fill of and feel for the teams and, you know, it's one thing reading about teams. It's another thing seeing them live and getting, yeah. you know, having your perspective of what you see rather than having it hand-fed, you know. So I can't wait. I'm just going to be – it's going to be a smorgasbord during, what is it, 11 days, 10 days yep. of, of the World Cup and, and leading into it. If you're in Sydney, you're very fortunate – um, if there's any open games to go watch prior to the World Cup. And and I know coming from down here in Melbourne, there's a, a number of people, like there's busloads of people coming up to Sydney and young kids excited to be able to get this well, once-in-30-year opportunity or once in, however long it's been since the last one to watch a World Cup in their own backyard. It's yeah. great. Okay. Timsy, thanks so much for your time. It's always great talking to you. And... Like I said, for the World Cup to start and we get to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, can't wait. Good luck, guys. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.